The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Please take your Bibles, and I would like to read our scripture text tonight. It is found in the book of Psalms, Psalm number 16. Psalm 16, let us hear God's word. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are my, the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names upon my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let us pray. Our Father, I pray the Word of God would redound in our heart tonight. Help us to come to it and follow you and its instructions with all our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us much in the Psalms. I think of David as a man who was just after God's own heart as the scriptures say. I wonder how many of us have gone out in a field sometime and just read the word and meditated on it. How often have you gone to a mountainside, looked over a valley and thought, how pleasant God is, how wonderful his word. Or perhaps on a lake in the summertime, just standing there and looking at uh, the word of God amidst the tranquility of of his creation, and thinking on the God of the ages, the only Lord, and all his wonderful care for his people. David, being a shepherd of sheep, must have thought how well entrusted he was to the Lord. 
Certainly his pathways from time to time veered off, but still he was a great man of God. Oh, that all of us would be men and women of God in the character and walk of David. There are several things I want to just draw our attention to tonight. First of all, notice in the psalm, David just simply says, O God, keep me safe, for in you I trust. And my mother went to be with the Lord about a year and a half ago. I could always count on my mother to watch over me. Even in my 50s and 60s, she would say, Keith, be careful crossing the street. I would wonder if she'd want to hold my hand as we crossed the street. My mother was just a worry wart, although the Lord brought her along in a lot of grace. But she would constantly watch out for her, one of her two little boys. It's great to know that we really are safe in the Lord. He is our refuge, the place to whom, the person to whom we retreat, as we would take refuge at a mountaintop or by a lake or in an open pasture and meditate on the Lord. He is our refuge. How wonderful that we can come to the one who drew us to himself That is, if you're a believer and have received the Lord and are following him, how wonderful to resort to the Lord. You'll forgive me tonight. I'm not a great expositor. I just want to illustrate how wonderful a refuge Jesus is. It was about uh, 17 years ago where our young lady had graduated uh, from college and was engaged to a young man, but something wasn't quite right. She had just come to the Lord, and she wanted to have the Lord's hand in her life. So she broke the engagement and sought business and worked for a company. And and she um, also uh, sought opportunities to serve the Lord in mission trips and the like. At one time, she even came back to her alma mater. And at this alma mater, she heard somebody who I happen to know, he was speaking during one of the college campus Christian ministries. Well, nothing was made of it. He went his way and she went her way. And uh, not too long after that, um, my son, Matt, went to London as a missionary with World Harvest. And in the course of time, uh, this young lady uh, went to the uh, mission field uh, as a, she worked in this area in London for a while. And she just happened to pop in to the World Harvest team that was working in this part of London, and she happened to see my son. Well, he didn't make too much of it. He wasn't paying much attention. But she said in her heart, as she was following the Lord, she said, Lord, he'll do. (laughs) Well, it was a long time yet before something further developed in the Lord's guidance in in her life. But she followed hard after the Lord, got involved in a good Bible-believing church up where Dr. Keller is ministering. And uh, she followed after the Lord again. And, and uh, another occurrence happened, and uh, uh, she went back again to this mission field. And uh, this time, amazingly enough, my son happened to take note of her. And, uh, well, that was nice, but how's this going to go together? He stays in London. She comes back to work. 
But in the course of time, as she was trusting the Lord and finding Jesus as her refuge, she didn't want to just go off and marry any person. She had set a high standard because God had been speaking to her heart about following the Lord, putting her trust in the Lord, keeping safe in the Lord's hand, asking, as it says in this verse, you are my Lord, therefore you will guide me and I will be led by you, even in this difficult question of whether I should marry or whether I should stay single. She was willing to go that route. However, in the course of time, there was a retreat. It was a Christian retreat, and it just happened that this young lady, Jennifer Hussar, and my son happened to be at this retreat up in the Adirondack Mountains. It was a snow retreat for college kids, and those who were near after college. And they happened to see each other, and they happened to be in the same car. And, and uh, it turned out that when Matt returned with a car, he happened to have just something that Jennifer forgot. Well, you know what? I know what you're thinking, ladies, that she put that there on purpose, but it wasn't so. We've come to know that Jennifer forgets things all the time, leaves them all over the place. But she was blessed by the conference, and so was Matt. And uh, in the course of time, uh, then uh, their pathways weren't about to get together again. But you know, my son Matt started liking her and liking the testimony that he saw in her. He started to see Jesus really outfolding in her life. And that's a very important thing that all of us should strive for. And I think especially those of us who are younger, those of you who are younger, (laughs) and are growing along in the Lord, don't sacrifice, don't compromise. The Scripture says, David prayed, As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. Now, you can look at any Hollywood or any sports figure. Many of them may be fine people. But most testimonies that come through those fields aren't solid Christian representations about what it's like to follow Christ. In fact, the Scriptures say that those are the sorrows of those who increase, who run after everything else but Jesus Christ. Pagan sorrows. That is a bad end. Well, Jen just happened to trust the Lord and was walking with him. And Matt started to like this girl, but he had a dilemma. Should he get together, call this lady up who lived in New York City and worked at the World Trade Center for a further follow-up? We might call it a date, but he wanted something more. And, you know, this is where it's nice to have a good mother and father. In this case, my dear wife encouraged him. Well, he was saying, should I call her? I don't know. Should I, you know? Call her, Matt, said Mama. And he did. And the rest is history. Why? Because, you know, it says in verse 5, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and cup. Lord, you're in charge of all my life. Many times when we get together and have the Lord's Supper, one of my favorite hymns when it comes to the Lord's table is that one by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Cross, the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 
Isaac Watts, when I was in London some years ago, I visited his gravesite at Bunham Fields. And there he is with many other notables nearby. But you know that last verse, he was quite a talented man. But in this last verse, he captured what it means to live for God forever and what it means to lose everything. Were the whole realm of nature mine? How many people today are living for me and mine? You know, Isaac Watts died over 200 years ago. Had he lived for this world and for the flesh and for the devil, what great loss would have been his. But no, he sacrificed them to the blood of the Lord. He followed the Lord with his heart. That is the challenge. God wants us to follow the Lord and to lay our hands in his care, knowing he will take care of us. Some weeks ago, I was visiting somebody in our church who was dying. I made reference to one of the Psalms. I believe you know it well, Psalm 139. I'll just make reference to one verse. It is the verse where David, in counting the creation of God, he talks about God knowing all about him. He talks about God's presence with his life. And in that regard, he says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How precious are your thoughts to me, toward me, are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Well, I have an assignment for somebody here tonight that's under 20 years old. If you go to the seashore sometime this summer, would you please go grab a handful of sand? And if you will count every good-sized average handful of sand, count each grain, I'll give you a nickel for every one of those grains. But you've got to do it under supervision. I'm a Scot as well. <laughs> you know, God tells us his thoughts about us are innumerable. Oh, that my thoughts were so strong about him. Oh, that my thoughts dwelt on him all the day long. A good way to do that is to read the Psalms. There's nothing like coming to the Psalms. Us, we pastors have found this to be a joy to share and to break forth what so often comforts our hearts when we're at our lowest ebb. Our resource is the Lord. He is the one we come to. And we come to him not because we're so great at getting to him, but he is drawing us into the resource of himself. He, the scriptures say, is our portion. David expressed it in another way in one of his famous psalms, because in you, O Lord, my cup runneth over, as it says in verse 5, Lord, you have assigned me my portion. How wonderfully God takes care of us. He is not only our refuge, he is our resource. He is a resource when the well runs pretty close to dry. Well, coming down tonight, I said to my wife, wow, our gas tank is low. I kept an eye on it. Just what we need tonight is have a preacher not show up, right? (laughs) 
You know, the Lord keeps our tank pretty full as we have come to him and his word. We have a great resource. I love the way the Lord leads us in our lives. It's so sweet to take the Bible and tell our boys and girls, our children, when they're very little. I'm having this joy afresh now since our grandchildren are home for a period of time, just to take them, put my arms around them, when they have a meltdown, and that does happen, just to be patient with them and loving and caring and understanding and reminding them that the Lord will take care of them. He is our resource. It says in these scriptures, Lord, you are my portion. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. It's great to follow the Lord when you're young because, you know, the days get tougher sometimes as we age. I have two dear friends in our church here, two wonderful men. I won't say their names. Some of you know them. But they know what it's like when you say, I take thee, my spouse, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part. That is a hard commitment when finances get really tough, when words get harsh, when illness overtakes, our resource is the Lord. And I've been with two of these men. When they have taken their spouses who can no longer walk on their own power, who cannot even acknowledge a little, I love you, And yet these brothers deal with their wives of many, many years, past 50 years, and spoon-feed them daily the nourishment for their bodies. I've told them both, if ever I'm invited to a one-day Sunday school seminar on marriage, they will get the floor for loving their wives, even as their wives have no way of inputting back verbally or emotionally. Now, what is that? That doesn't come from them normally, and most of us would avert to go through that kind of sorrow. But that is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, conforming us and transforming us into being a capable servant who follows unto death. And what a sad thing it is to forsake a spouse under such duress. But oh, how wonderful it will be when we stand before the Lord and say at the throne of God, thank you, Lord, for keeping me faithful in following you and being faithful to my spouse amidst toil and temptation and illness and discouragement.
to live for Jesus, our resource, David knew about being in presence of a God who provides such things that we can live for one who is more important than the dearest one on earth, and that is following the Savior, who we will, after our marriages are dissolved, when we're in his heaven, our greater marriage will hold us together forever, unbroken, no disappointment, joy forever. Jesus is our refuge for our walk. Jesus is our resource for our power. And then finally, in our text tonight, we read from verse 7 on a passage which, this is a difficult psalm because I was reading the sermon of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon attributed in one sermon of his that every verse in this psalm speaks of Jesus. And that may be. I'm not a great preacher like Spurgeon. I read it and I thought, boy, he makes a convincing argument. But on the other hand, we look at some of the passages in the New Testament and we see also that this is an expression of the heart of David, but he's expressing his progeny that will come from his own loins almost a thousand years later. For indeed, the son of the Virgin Mary was having David as his great-great-grandfather many generations back. And so, when Jesus was on the cross, he expresses in these verses, from verse 7 through the end, very explicitly in the preaching of Peter. Last week, on the hilltop at the cemetery gardens, I was speaking on Peter's uh, second and greater catch, the catch of 3,000 fish after he, uh, 3,000 souls after he caught 100 some fish. But we read in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes in his sermon this very passage from Psalm 16 in verse 25. Peter in his preaching is talking about Christ being raised from the dead by God's power and freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. David said about him, and here Peter quotes the Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. These are thoughts that Jesus expressed, and words that he spoke in the garden Words that he banked his whole existence on and the promise of God's power and deliverance to get him through Gethsemane and on to Golgotha. Because my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, what's beyond is this. My body will also live in hope, even as he's ready to lay down his life there at the cross for you and me. I will live, he says, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So even as David quoted this, he certainly was not speaking 
of his own resurrection at that moment. He was speaking of Christ, whom he saw by faith and whom we look back to by faith in what he accomplished by victory over death. And that is the final thing. I've been around too many funerals over the many years that God has graciously given me. And the only joy of a funeral is that if a person was a believer, they will rise from the dead. And those who are left behind have the comfort that they are absent though from us. They are present with the Lord. Why would you ever want to bring someone back who has gone to be with the Lord to this life? Isaiah muses about that in chapter 57, I believe. But also, not only is there the testimony of Peter, but there's the testimony found later in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. I'll just make reference to it. For when Paul was preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, he says in Acts chapter 13, After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And he goes on to describe in verse 22, After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What a testimony. And by and large, David did, except for that major one failure. He followed the Lord. And then it goes on to say in that chapter, in verse 26, Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. There's a good reminder for you and for me to place our hope hard in God's word and pay attention to what the final goal is, and that is resurrection by the power of God. If it was just as easy for people in Jesus' day, having seen him and having seen his miracles and seeing his working and the power of his ministry and yet not recognize him, having the scriptures read every day as they are read here, and yet slip or deny or fall away, how easy would it be for us? We must remember there is a responsibility with the knowledge of the Word of God to keep it hot in our hearts. Notice the Scripture as he continues on in his sermon. Verse 35, a very familiar verse, the same one. Paul testifies to, as did Peter. Verse 35, So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. One of the new Bible versions says, and a comment on that, boy, what an admirable commendation. He served God well. Can that be said for you and me? Oh, that we would serve God well. For when the time comes that we fall asleep, there's no more serving. 
And notice the scripture says in verse 36, he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What a wonderful, wonderful verse. And later, David is quoted in the book of Romans. We won't look into all those references just now. But just to say, it's always worth it to follow the Lord, regardless of what the crowd is saying, regardless of the failure of our own heart. We find refuge in Jesus. We have our resource in Him. And ultimately, that difficult day comes. That day comes. I was sitting in my office just a few weeks ago, and we got a call. One of our dear brothers was on a walk, and he walked right into heaven. We are so privileged as pastors to go to homes when death strikes unexpectedly. But I want to tell you, I don't have anything to say to people about death other than we have a wonderful Savior in Jesus Christ. He tasted death for you and me, were we believers. And he has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. I expect this week, I may very well be beside somebody else, as I was last week, who is dying. There's no greater hope and assurance than that of the Word of God when death comes. Because the sad truth is that the path of life is ultimately a departure path. No matter how well you live it, how exciting it may be for you, or how drab, everyone will have a departure from the path of life. Does, the question is, does the path of life lead from death to arrival at God's right hand? Dr. Rogers said a few weeks ago in quoting a believer's testimony, how well he put it, when he quoted Paul, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But for those who follow wrongly the path and say, to me to live is self and to die is loss. How great, how immeasurable that loss. To slip away from the possibilities of hearing and responding to Christ into an eternity where there is no hope. How sad that is. I love to go to Philadelphia Airport when my car is empty. And not long ago, I did this. I went down to the airport, and about a month and a half ago, I knew that coming in the arrival section was my son, his wife, Jennifer, my two little grandkids that I hadn't seen for about a half a year. <laughs> it's great. It's great to hear them say, Hi, Grandpa, how nice to see you. It's great 
when our rivals come. But uh, I feel very blue, sort of sad and downcast when I know in just a few months I'm going to have to take them to the same airport and say farewell, knowing I may not see them for a whole year. It's wonderful that Jesus said, where I am, you will be also. In John chapter 14. How wonderful the arrival in heaven for those who know the Lord. And it takes away the sadness of the departure that we naturally feel when our loved ones are gone. When we've lived with them and hugged them and talked with them and our friends and neighbors have departed from us, we can no longer see them, can no longer talk to them. What a great resource it is to know. I still like the old King James Version that concludes this psalm, Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Spurgeon said, for quality there is in heaven joy and pleasure For quality, there is in heaven joy and pleasure. For quantity, he said, there is in heaven a fullness, a torrent in perpetuity forever with the Lord. When my parents died, I remember, I think one of the cemeteries out in Pittsburgh promised that there would be care for the people in the cemetery in perpetuity. You know what that means? They'll mow the grass every week. (laughs) But how wonderful. I don't worry about that because mom and dad trusted Jesus as their Savior. They are having a torrent of grace as all his people are. And do you know why? Because someone tasted the cup of death and did not push it away for us. Let us keep coming to him, our Lord Jesus Christ, our refuge, our resource, and our resurrection. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for great men of God. Thank you for David, how you inspired him to write these words that have blessed us many, many times. Oh, Lord, help us to take these in our hearts, resort to them, trust you, trust you with many uncertainties in life, trust you about the future, should we be single, that you will provide in your time and way and purposes by your decision whether there is a spouse to come or not. Trust you with our resources when the world seems to be collapsing financially. You own it all. You have promised to take care of us all the way to glory. We look forward to the day when we will see your face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.